And now it's time for The Insiders with Chuck Kuala and Scott Jensen, sponsored by the Wisconsin Counties Association and Michael Best Strategies. Hi, I'm Chuck Kuala, former Senate Majority Leader. And I'm Scott Jensen, former Assembly Speaker. We're the insiders. So, Scott, big primary, especially on the Republican side for governor. Uh, what's your take on uh, the results and the process that's got us there? Well, normally in a Republican primary uh, for statewide office, um, the establishment candidate is expected to win southeastern Wisconsin by a good margin, and that that is sufficient to win a race statewide, even if the other candidate, the outsider candidate, wins practically every other county in the state outside of southeastern Wisconsin. But we saw on, on primary night this week uh, that that pattern was broken. Um, you walk into a race here where uh, Tim Michaels had almost twice as much money uh, to spend as Rebecca Clayfish, and he had the endorsement of President Trump. And that scrambled the sort of numbers and the pattern that we normally see uh, in these Republican primaries. So, um, you know, if, if you were the Clayfish folks and you walked into the election night headquarters and you heard that Clayfish was winning Brown County and Marathon County and Dane County, you'd think, wow, she must be sweeping to a big victory tonight. Well, she did win all those places, which is not traditional for the establishment candidate. But then in the area that's her base, uh, she she had trouble. I mean, she won by single digits in a place where she needed to win by double digits. She uh, lost Washington County and lost Racine County. Um, uh, she, uh, in the end, won Milwaukee by like three points and Waukesha by seven. But those need to be like 10, 12 point wins. Um, the other thing I think you see is that if you're to draw a map, uh, like a circle of 50 miles around Brownsville, which is the home headquarters of Michaels Corporation, uh, you would see that he did extraordinarily well in that area of the state. And that's normally where the establishment candidate is also beginning to rack up votes towards a state victory. Well, he just vacuumed up votes um, in that part of the state. So uh, Tim Michaels is the Republican nominee. We have a new, I think, um, the, the, I think the question in Republican politics is, is that a one-time pattern because of the Trump endorsement? Or do we now have a situation where Southeastern Wisconsin is no longer the home of the establishment Republican like it always used to be, where establishment Republicans would win two to one um, in this case, uh, it was a win for Clayfish, but just a narrow single-digit win. I think everything that Scott is saying is true, and I think those kinds of questions, as he asked at the end, will be out there. But I think the big thing to look at is what's the implication for the fall? I think that the Republicans lost their best opportunity to beat Tony Evers. Rebecca Clayfish would have been the only woman of the four major candidates, the two Senate candidates and the gubernatorial and she would have softened the look, at least the appearance on the Republican side. Now the Republicans are left with an impossibility to defend, and that is abortion. I think there are going to be three issues this fall, and the, and the Democrats win all three. It's abortion, abortion, and abortion. The reality is, if they put together the right ad or two, I think that's going to dominate. I know the Republicans think it's about the economy, stupid, and Democrats have said that, of course, that was famously James Carville's line. The problem is, the economy is fading back. The most visible thing that we've talked about before on this show is gas prices. They're dropping at my, at my neighborhood. It's down to 336 a gallon. 
I think that that is going to fade. Women are going to say, yeah, rights, my personal rights. What happens if my daughter at 14 is raped? And I think that that is the kind of question that people are asking themselves. I think that Southeast Wisconsin, where the traditional Republican, Rebecca Clayfish, could have taken big numbers. Those numbers which have been migrating away from Republicans will do even more so this time. And in the gubernatorial election, that is a devastating blow for Republicans. And Michaels, who wants a guy who lives in Connecticut in a $17 million mansion to be the guy who's running your state? I think Rebecca Clayfish made mention of that. Guess what? Tony Evers will too. And by the way, they've tried in the past. Scott knows this. They tried against Walker to turn Tony Evers into this evil man. It did not work. He, that kind of demonization does not work. And I'll tell you something. In Trump world, the only way to win is to make the other guy seem unacceptable. Tony Evers is not unacceptable. And unfortunately, I'm afraid Mr. Michaels is going out of that playbook. And if you run out of that playbook, you are going to lose. I think the Republicans made a bad choice here. Well, I think that you're wrong on both counts. Um, I think inflation is still going to be the top issue and the economy is going to be the top issue going in the fall. Every poll shows that. Abortion is third or fourth on the list, Chuck. I know you want it to be number one and be the top three issues. It's not. The uh, economy and inflation are, are the top issues. I think you are right on your other point, though, that um, uh, it's going to be difficult for Republicans to make uh, Tony Evers out to be evil, but it's not going to be hard to make him out to be incompetent. And I think that's what the campaign will be about. Tim Michaels, someone who has accomplished a great deal in the world of business, a guy who gets things done, a guy who builds things, running against a guy who can't even send out unemployment compensation checks in your professional license. So now let's go to the Dem uh, primary for the United States Senate. This is crucial, not only here uh, in Wisconsin, but around the country. Control of the United States Senate could very well depend upon the seat here. And sort of amazingly, the Democrats decided, we don't need a primary. Let's all just quit and hand this one off to Mandela Barnes. So the, one of the stranger things I've seen where in a period of 48 hours, three candidates drop out of the race and kind of hand it to another guy. What was that all about, Chuck? Well, first, uh, Scott, we should all talk with women before we decide that abortion isn't the number one issue. Take, take a look at that. But mind my words after the election. But here's the thing on, on, the, on the Mandela Barnes thing. They didn't just say, well, let's hand it over to Mandela. They looked at their polling. You know, come on, we're both insiders. You know what happened. They looked at their polling the last couple of weeks and they said, oh my God, we can't beat them. Let's be united. Let's look class. And by the way, the class act who came out of this was Lazary, who yeah. put $600,000 behind an anti-Johnson after, ad after he left. Hey, you got to give that guy a lot of credit. It's when most people, when they lose a primary like that, they're wounded, they walk away, they're licking their wounds. Hey, he was smart enough to say, nope, this is bigger than me. Everybody says it, but he actually put his money where his mouth was. And I give him a lot of credit. The bottom line is that Mandela was kicking butt. The question for me is, was that because of this ad that Mandela had running from his mother talking about the tough decision that she had to make in deciding whether to terminate a pregnancy? If that's the case, I think I go back to how important abortion is going to be, or was it just other things and they could just say, they see, they weren't making headway. I don't know. I think that Mandela Barnes became obviously the progressive voice in the race. Uh, Lazary was trying to find another lane where he could sort of put together moderate women, particularly in Southeastern Wisconsin, get them to vote in his campaign, business oriented folks, um, union members. Um, and in the end, he, he was able to get 
26 or some percent of those people, but not enough to win that race. I assume the reason all those people dropped out, all those candidates with some talent, they're dropped out in quick succession is they all want to remain viable for future races. Um, and they didn't want to have a loss on their record or they didn't want to be seen as holding up the general election campaign so that Mandela could get started um, on it right away. So I assume that was the political insider thing is that they all thought, well, if I want to retain the ability um, to be seen as a really strong candidate for a future office, I should step aside here and uh, let Barnes advance. So yes, um, but they also the fundamental was they saw they couldn't win. And once they once they saw that in their polling, it was inevitable and that was going to happen. I think what it did was it allowed Democrats to coalesce behind Barnes a little bit earlier, even to the point of Lazary running the ad. I think that's a big advantage for him. The big challenge for the fall, of course, for Democrats in this is can they manage to take out Ron Johnson, who says just continues to say amazing things like, yeah, I'm not so sure that we want to make Social Security and Medicare something we're going to say is for sure. We kind of like to make that uncertain as you go into retirement. Wow. I think if the Democrats were on an ad there, there's an ad that's going to hit into the economics. We want to talk about the economy. The economy for anybody over 65, hearing those kinds of words from Ron Johnson, this is the gift who keeps on giving. Democrats could not make this man into a more vulnerable candidate if they put the words out of their own campaign accounts. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, I would say this. I, I think that both Barnes and Johnson have an extraordinary ability and bad timing to say jaw-dropping things. Um, and I think people should be ready for a roller coaster ride here because they both do it. If you go back and look at their records, you just sort of slap your head sometimes like, why would you let those words come out of your mouth? Um, and, and Barnes has done a lot of that as well as Johnson over the years. Perhaps and, and it's by the candor, way, <laughs> but it's not exactly politically smart. Uh, Scott, what's your take on the tight race, the 260 vote margin that Robin Voss got in his race? What happened? What happened? Well, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, Donald Trump's endorsement matters uh, in Republican primaries. Um, it was very effective for Tim Michaels, and it was effective for Adam Steen, who was running against Robin Voss. Um, the president chose to make most of, much of his rally an attack on uh, Robin Voss. It was um, it was just sort of amazing to see, um, and it was it was devastatingly effective. I would say this, though, that um, Robin was saved really by the this is a more than other legislative leaders. You and I were both legislative leaders. It's very easy when you're legislative leaders to start focus on statewide issues and not the home front. Robin Voss has never forgotten the home front. This is a guy who actually returns calls on his way home from the Capitol, people who've called his office, that he will actually stop by your house to follow up on an issue, to talk with you. And that sort of stuff saved him from the incredible negative attacks that were launched against him. Uh, they did doors like crazy. Uh, he was at some houses four times during the course of this election. In the end, he was able to eke it out. Um, I would So he was, a, he was a victor, a narrow one, but that's all that matters in politics on election night. And I would say that Justice Gableman is um, uh, a big loser on, on election night. Uh, I, you're a lawyer, I'm not. Um, I would hate to hire a lawyer who would then go out and publicly criticize me and tell people to vote against me. I never heard of a lawyer doing such a thing. I can't believe it's in the canon of ethics for a lawyer to go out and trash his client in public. 
But apparently, uh, Justice Gableman thinks that is the way a lawyer should act. And I think as a result, he's not only out of a job, thankfully, um, uh, uh, with the investigation he's been doing, I, I would hope that his reputation is gone in the state of Wisconsin. Well, let me do something rare here. Let me say something positive about Robin Voss. The reason that his uh, seat was placed in jeopardy is because Robin Voss, although trying to be a little squishy about it, at the end of the day said, no, we can't do something as outrageous and as illegal as trying to overturn this election this far out. For that, the, the President Trump punished him. And by the way, folks, when you see Robin Voss, who when I was around and when Scott was around, was the conservative member of the assembly, turned into a rhino by one person's outrageous tirade, President Don, former President Donald Trump, you know that President Donald Trump is a cancer on our democracy. He is a serious cancer on our democracy. And now Republicans are seeing how it can come back to bite them in the tail. This is something that we have to deal with as a democracy. Nobody on the Republican side is willing to talk about it. But if we don't, and if we can't, we face the real prospect of losing our democracy within the next couple of elections. And Robin Voss should be the canary in the coal mine for Republicans. I think that there were some people like Liz Cheney who have figured it out. I think the Republican Party has to clean up their mess. Well, Robin Voss is the longest serving speaker in the history of the state of Wisconsin, and it looks like his reign is going to continue. We've got a lot more to talk about next week. We'll see you then. See you next time. Listening to The Insiders with Chuck Kuala and Scott Jensen, sponsored by the Wisconsin Counties Association and Michael Best Strategies. 